We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 293 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, April 15th, 2022. It is Good Friday, 2022. If you commemorate Good Friday, then a salute to you. If you do not commemorate Good Friday, uh, well, I still hope that you have a, wait for it, Good Friday. Uh, I am home alone on this Good Friday. I am, in fact, home alone on this Easter weekend. Yes, the cat is away, and so the mice shall play. (laughs) My wife and kids are visiting her parents. I am back here uh, yelling and screaming into my laptop about Dan Snyder and Jason Friedman. Uh, So, yeah, this is a Galdi can do whatever the heck he wants to do kind of weekend. For those of you who watched Seinfeld, you remember the Summer of George? Uh, This is the weekend of Galdi. Hey, maybe I'll call up Dan Snyder, okay? Maybe I'll call up the Danny and just see if he wants to hang out this weekend, okay? Why not, all right? Maybe I'll take Dan out for a beer. He probably could use a drink right now. Well, coming up next segment, I will chat with a Dan. Uh, no, not Dan Snyder, but Daniel Kaplan, uh, sports business insider for The Athletic. Daniel Kaplan has been doing some really good reporting on the commander's financial scandal. And so we are going to get an objective, sober assessment of what we know, what we do not know, where truly this scandal could go in terms of Dan's ownership of the Commanders. And you will hear some things that do make you wonder whether the case against Dan and the Commanders is all that it is uh, cracked up to be. Uh, Daniel is going to pull back the curtain on some of what he has been hearing and dealing with. Uh, You cannot beat Commanders' scandal talk on a good Friday. Come on. Uh, Well, it was not a good Thursday for the Capitals and Nationals. Uh, Each team got smacked around on Thursday night. For the Caps, a 7-3 loss at the Toronto Maple Leafs. For the Nats, a 9-4 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates. I've got some things to say about those games. I'll get to them 
later in the show. Interesting that the Caps and the Nats on Thursday night had similar results because the Caps and the Nats on Thursday morning were tied together via a report from Forbes that Caps and Wizards owner Ted Leonsis and this guy David Rubenstein, who is a billionaire co-founder of a private equity firm, are looking to team up to make a bid to buy the Nats. Uh, I will discuss this coming up. What if Ted Leonsis bought the Nats? Would Ted be a good owner for the Nats? Uh, I actually think that Ted could be a good owner. For the Nats. Uh, do not forget to give the podcast a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do not forget to write a brief one or two sentence review on Apple Podcasts saying how much that you like the podcast. And thank you very much for doing those things. They help out the podcast a lot. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Frank Santangelo. I'm Dan Snyder. Writes Frank, been listening to the podcast from the jump. Appreciate your daily insight and dedication to a displaced fan in South Florida. Well, thank you, Frank. Continues, Frank. I'm writing specifically because I'm trying to digest my disdain for Dan. I have tried, like many others, for 22 years to buy in. At every turn, Dirty Dan has done everything to tarnish the franchise and ruin the fan base. He has fooled us time and time again to where I truly hope this is the end. It's enough. I'm so tired of all of the scandals slash non-football related issues. And trust me, the football hasn't been good either. That I actually bought Miami Dolphins season tickets for this upcoming season. The Redskins are something I shared with my late father. A lot of great memories with him that I will never forget. Dan has taken something I have loved so very, very much and ruined it. Suing elderly fans over season tickets, harassing employees, and ultimately ticking off so many people that the Redskins' name was forced to change are just a few things this horrible owner has done. What a legacy he needs to go. I used to think winning would cure all, but not anymore. Dan losing the franchise would be the breath of fresh air we all need. I hope it's finally so. Appreciate you, Al. Much love to you and the family. Uh, thank you very much, Frank. Very powerful email. Boy, a lot of listeners of this podcast are in the state of Florida. Um, you know, there have been some incredible moments of joy in Washington, D.C. sports over the years. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but of course there have been some moments of extreme joy, right? The Redskins winning their three Super Bowl titles, tremendous joy. Uh, Joe Gibbs in 2004 coming back to be the Skins head coach. Tremendous joy. The Capitals winning the Stanley Cup in 2018. Tremendous joy. The Nationals winning the World Series in 2019. Tremendous joy. But it's possible that the ouster of Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders would bring more joy to D.C. sports fans than anything ever. Like, I've thought about that. If Danny got ousted, would that be the single most joyous occurrence in Washington, D.C. sports history? I mean, I'm not sure how you quantify joy, okay? I'm not sure how we could compare the joy over Danny being ousted to the joy of, say, the Skins winning the Super Bowl for the 1991 season or the Caps winning the Cup 
in 2018 or the Nats winning the World Series in 2019. But the joy over Danny being ousted would be monumental, okay? And the amount of happiness and hope that Dan being ousted as owner of the Commanders would bring to fans of the team and to former fans of the team would be incredible. I mean, him being ousted as owner of the Commanders might be the single most joy-inducing thing that could happen in D.C. sports right now. Think about what that says about him as owner of the team. Email from Kyle Goins on a potential free agent target for the Commanders. Former Redskins receiver Deshaun Jackson writes, Kyle, I just want your opinion on this. Djax is an unrestricted free agent. He last season had 20 receptions for two touchdowns and had the best yards per catch of his career. Should Washington not at least give him a call? Well, thank you for the email, Kyle. So, Deshaun Jackson, a.k.a. Djax, a.k.a. Jackpot Jackson. Jackpot Jackson all the way! Yes, Jackpot Jackson. Uh, So to me, you basically can never go wrong in signing someone with upside to a one-year low-cost contract. Deshaun Jackson, at this point, would almost certainly be getting a one-year low-cost contract. So from that standpoint, I would not be against the commanders bringing back Deshaun Jackson. You know, overall, Deshaun was a good receiver for the Redskins over his three seasons with them, 2014 through 2016. But a few things need to be made clear. Number one, I do not think that receiver is the screaming need for the commanders that I know other people think that receiver is. And that's not to say that the commanders can't be better at receiver. But if Curtis Samuel has finally recovered from the worst groin injury in the history of groin injuries, and he this coming season actually plays and, you know, is a factor, uh, then the commanders right there have their legit number two receiver with Terry McLaurin as the obvious number one. Now, you obviously would not be signing Deshaun Jackson to be your definite number two receiver, but, you know, you have someone like, say, Deami Brown. And I know that he had a very disappointing rookie season, but if Deami this coming season takes a big step forward, well, then you're really in business at receiver before having added anyone. And of course, the commanders may be adding someone of real significance via the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, Number two, uh, Deshaun Jackson, yes, still can be a weapon. But, you know, he has become a journeyman. Deshaun left the Skins as an unrestricted free agent after the 2016 season. He since then has played on four teams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Las Vegas Raiders. So four teams over the last five seasons, 2017 through 2021. We all keep making a big deal of the Commanders being Carson Wentz's third team in three seasons. Well, Deshaun's next team, assuming that that next team is not one of those last four teams, will be his fifth team in six seasons. Uh, and Deshaun has had a hard time staying healthy. And we know that he can rub people the wrong way. So there would be a lot to think about here in bringing back Deshaun Jackson. Ron Rivera really would have to consider if the potential production from Deshaun would be worth the potential headache of Deshaun, for whom, by the way, the 2022 season will be his age 36 season. So he's a speed guy who is now very deep into his 30s. 
But all that said, Deshaun still can be a deep threat. Okay. It's not like Deshaun can't play at all anymore. Deshaun over the last three regular seasons, 2019 through 2021, 43 receptions. Okay. That's not like some massive total over three seasons, but an average of 19.7 yards per reception. Uh, Not bad. You know, 19.7 yards per catch over the last three regular seasons. You can never have enough speed in the NFL. And Deshaun does still have enough speed to make big plays. Well, speed is a perpetual need in the NFL. Uh, Good health is a perpetual need in life. And whatever your dermatological needs may be, always know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He is a big Commanders fan. I should ask him what he thinks about the Commanders potentially bringing back Deshaun Jackson. Dr. Verghese is a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels. If you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. You have questions about your skin, you have concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. 301-396-3401. 301-396-3401. 3401. When you call, make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. So, the biggest item with the Commanders this week, undoubtedly, has been their financial scandal being taken to a whole new level with what came out on Tuesday. The bombshell that Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which has been investigating the Commanders' workplace misconduct scandal and then was investigating this alleged financial impropriety by the Commanders, had sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission with significant details of the alleged financial impropriety by the commanders. Uh, The letter was a 20-page letter addressed to the Honorable Lena M. Kahn, who is the chair of the Federal Trade Commission. The letter stated that, quote, evidence obtained by the committee, including emails, documents, and statements from former employees, indicate senior executives and the team's owner, Daniel Snyder, may have engaged in a troubling, long-running, and potentially unlawful pattern of financial conduct that victimized thousands of team fans and the National Football League, end quote. And the gist of the specifics in the letter is that Dan Snyder and the team now known as the Commanders over the years allegedly stole money from ticket-paying fans and from the NFL. 
But the letter very notably does not say any of these things with certainty. Uh, The letter is a presentation of allegations, primarily from former team employee Jason Friedman. And the letter basically is the House Committee on Oversight and Reform alerting the Federal Trade Commission of these allegations. How serious truly are the allegations? How much teeth truly do the allegations have? And is all of this going to lead to Dan Snyder being ousted as owner of the Commanders? I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast a man who has been all over the Commanders financial scandal, sports business insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Kaplan Sports Biz. Uh, you may recall that it was Daniel who on April 4th broke the news that Jason Friedman is the whistleblower in the commander's financial scandal. Daniel, very nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm good. We finally had some warm weather in New York today. Yes, we've finally been having some warmer weather here in the Washington, D.C. area. So I join you in that happy mood. Uh, So as things stand right now with this commander's financial scandal, what to you is more accurate, that the scandal is very much putting Dan Snyder's ownership of the commanders in jeopardy, or that the scandal lacks the requisite proof and or seriousness to put Dan's ownership of the team in jeopardy? Well, we don't know the answers to that yet. Um, we're waiting to, I'm waiting to hear to see if the minority on the committee responds to the letter that the majority sent to the FTC. If the team itself is going to, in more detail, respond than simply their fallback quote from last week that there's no... There's no truth to this. Um, there appears to be some questionable email sent, but you know we we haven't gotten the other side. And one thing I was told was that the majority sent this letter without ever calling the commanders to get their side of the story. So we we don't we don't know. The, I don't think we know the full story yet. We just we know what one whistleblower has told the committee, and we and we know of a few emails he provided them, but we don't know the whole context. So that's interesting. So the House Committee on Oversight and Reform sent this letter to the Federal Trade Commission without getting a response from the commanders to the allegations? That is what I was told. Wow. Is that normal practice or is that abnormal? Well, I'm not a dis- I'm not a DC reporter. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, I like, like everyone outside the Delaware. I look at DC from afar. It looks dysfunctional to me, like most people. Um, I can't, I can't say whether when a committee does something and it's split evenly between Republicans and Democrats, and the the, the one party is in disagreement with the other party, if they don't get if they don't get input from the adversaries, in this case, the commanders, I really, I, I don't, I don't know, but it, it, it just as a reporter, I know when I write a story, uh, no matter how damning one side may be, you're, you're supposed to get the other side at least, or at least try to get the other side. Yeah, that would seem to be the logical thing to do. So it was you who on April 4th broke the news that Jason Friedman is the whistleblower in the commander's financial scandal. His credibility and the accuracy of his allegations obviously are of utmost importance in the scandal. He worked for the commanders for 24 plus years. Austin Hacker, who is the Republican spokesperson for the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, put out a statement on Tuesday calling Friedman, quote, a disgruntled ex-employee who had limited access to the team's finances, was fired for violating 
team policies, and has his own history of creating a toxic workplace environment. As recently as January 2022, this employee was begging to get his job back with the team. And quote, do you know why Friedman's employment with the team ended? I've been told various things, nothing I would want to look. There's going to be an effort to you know, to tear down Jason Friedman. I, I, I don't want to participate in that. Uh, what, 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 what is important is whether what he provided to the committee is, is truthful and accurate or if, they, if it's just snippets without the context. Um, I, I've heard from many people that it's snippets without the context. I have heard from some who said some of the emails he provided do look damning. I don't think we have a full picture yet and that's why it was somewhat disappointing the committee uh, were not you know apparently did not reach out to the other side to get their perspective i will say this what after i reported freeman's name and it became clear he provided you know damning testimony to the uh, to the committee i requested his testimony from the committee last week uh there's nothing that prevents them from from disclosing it uh they're they're obviously a public entity uh it's these are not secret proceedings this is a committee that is investigating the commanders because of the nfl's apparent lack of transparency in their own investigation so i thought it would behoove the committee to make the transcript available uh they have yet, yet to uh do so why wouldn't the House Committee on Oversight and Reform make the Jason Friedman transcript available to you? I don't know. Um, I, 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 I don't know. It's not my understanding. They, they promised him any secrecy. Uh, uh, the committee spokesperson simply noted my request, and they've not replied to me in my subsequent emails. In terms of what brought Jason Friedman to bring these allegations in the financial scandal against the commanders to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, Friedman was not subpoenaed by Congress. Is that correct? Um, I've heard, no, I do not believe he was subpoenaed. I've heard two stories, one that he volunteered to go in uh, and and two that the committee asked him to come in, but he was not subpoenaed. Uh, there was another former commander's executive, Brian LaFambina, who testified. Now, he, Brian's tenure fell outside, was after these alleged, you know, the, this, the financial malfeasance, the alleged financial malfeasance took place. But he was, um, I'm told, uh, pressured to come in by the committee. And he, he testified, I'm told, that he did not witness, witness any financial malfeasance. But that is... You know, that that his tenure was later, later in this timeline. Yeah. And uh, with Brian LaFamina, that's a saga in and of itself when it comes to his time uh, with the commanders. But with Jason Friedman speaking to Congress. So if, in fact, he signed a non-disclosure agreement upon exiting being employed by the commanders, uh, is him having spoken with Congress a violation of the NDA, or does speaking to Congress, even if you're not subpoenaed, trump an NDA? My understanding is speaking to Congress trumps any NDA. Uh, it would be up to um, it would be up to the commanders to release him from the NDA to talk publicly. Now, clearly, what he has to say is largely out there anyway. Uh, but uh, that, that's that, that's why I don't understand why the committee won't just make his transcript available so we could all see, you know, 
word by word what he had to say. Now, a lot of it's in the FTC letter, so it's, you know, we, we, have, we have the good gist of it. But uh, I, I think his transcript should be released since they're, you know, they're publicly accusing a, a major enterprise, the commanders, of something very significant. Yeah, would make total sense. We're talking about the commander's financial scandal with a man who has been all over the story, sports business insider Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. So when it comes to why the House Committee on Oversight and Reform sent this letter to the Federal Trade Commission, do you think that the House Committee sent the letter simply to get the allegations out there so that so many people would become aware of the allegations do you think that the House Committee sent the letter because the House Committee isn't sure what to make of the allegations and wants the Federal Trade Commission to do the investigating into the allegations? What do you think the true purpose of the letter was? Well, the first thing it clearly says is the committee does not feel like it has the authority to continue investigating. Uh, they're punting the, the, the investigation of financial malfeasance or alleged financial malfeasance to the, to the FTC. Uh, why it made such a scene of it, uh, why it, you know, a 20-page letter to the FTC based on, you know, one low-level ticket executive's testimony. Uh, look, we can all read into that what we want, but it, obviously the committee feels it's good politics to bash Dan Snyder. I mean, I think there's no doubt about that. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're 100% right about that. So the two main components to the allegations in the letter are uh, Dan Snyder and the team allegedly retaining ticket deposit money from fans and Dan and the team allegedly hiding ticket revenue from the NFL. Uh, you know, obviously we have to see if either item is true, but if both items are true, which to you is the bigger deal? Well, I mean, they're, they're both really, if they were essentially stealing money from and I'm saying, look, I'm not saying this is what happened. This is what's accused, but they were stealing money from season ticket holders. Uh, I mean, that's that could be a criminal violation, and that would, I would imagine, lead to uh, efforts to remove Dan Snyder's ownership. Uh, in terms of the the revenue sharing piece, I think it would depend uh, how extensive it was. And again, this is all if it indeed was. A calculated effort to shield revenue from the other owners, and by the way, it would shield revenues from the players too. Um, but if it were true, it would depend how how widespread was it? Um, how much money are we talking about? Uh, is it the kind of sort of financial games that all teams play? I've, I've heard that. I've already heard that line. That this is nothing unusual, um, and it also there's also the the theory I've heard broached that, you know, Snyder may not have been fully aware of all of this. He, I mean, his defense with the sexual harassment scandals has essentially been he was an absentee owner. I imagine if, if say, the revenue sharing issue blows up and it's 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 worse than we thought, and I'm sure that's going to be his his line that he was an absentee owner. The revenue the the documents were audited by the NFL by the NFLPA, um, and he did not know about it. Um, but that, that's all presuming it, it, it's a worst-case scenario. We know that Mary Jo White, who already was investigating the allegations made by former Commander's Team employee Tiffany Johnston against Dan Snyder, now is investigating the financial scandal. It took a year for the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation to come out have you been given or have you heard any kind of a timetable for this Mary Jo White investigation? 
No, and this is the third one she's got going on. The two you mentioned, she had, she's investigating the alleged bribery in Miami with Brian Flores and the owner there. I mean, she may as well get a corner office at, <laughs> yeah. at, at, at this point. Uh, so I've not heard any 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 timelines, uh, but in terms of the the revenue sharing piece, it you'd think it wouldn't be that time that challenging she just needs to look at the audit financial statements interview the the print the principals here and uh and, and you, you expect a, a, a rapid conclusion but you know as you mentioned with wilkinson uh these reports can take a while yeah and you mentioned the very obvious partisan nature of all of this democrats are very much for congressional involvement in these commander scandals, Republicans are very much against congressional involvement in these commander scandals. If the Republicans win back the House of Representatives in November, and that's a big if, but if that happens, do you believe that all congressional involvement in these scandals ends? In other words, might a strategy for Dan Snyder right now be to simply try to delay things as much as possible and just hope for favorable election results in November? Well, you know, going back to your question about why do they send it to the FTC, you know, maybe that's part of the thinking that we may not be in a position to investigate this in six, seven months. Uh, so let's make sure uh, an organ of government that will be under democratic control can investigate it. So, I mean, you talk to a lot of people netting this all out. Do you think that this commander's financial scandal is a true threat to Dan's ownership of the team or are we just not there yet? I don't think we're th- we're certainly not there yet. Um, the look if the NFL came out with Mary Mary Jo White concluded there was an orchestrated attempt by Dan Snyder to shield revenues from other teams and players, and he stole from season ticket holders. I don't see how he could possibly survive that. Um, but I do know that his side is confident that they'll be able to present a case that entirely rebuts that that portrayal. And one more for you. What do you think is next in this commander's financial scandal? Uh, The commander's side of things coming out more from the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. What do you think the next thing in this commander's financial scandal will be? I think what you just said is more from the something from the commander side or from the House Minority side. Um, so, so, I, I don't, I don't think the the majority's FTC letter will go unanswered. Uh, I, I think with, with the getting into the religious holidays, the next couple of days, I, I don't, you know, we're probably not going to see something until early next, early to mid next week. Uh, but. I would expect uh, at some point the big news being uh, a, a detailed rebuttal by either the House Minority or the team. All right. Daniel Kaplan, Sports Business Insider for The Athletic, has been all over the commander's financial scandal. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. All the best to you. All right. You too. Take care. All right. Good stuff from Daniel Kaplan. It's frustrating, right? Because we all want answers on what's going to happen with Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders. We want the answers now. Heck, we want the answers yesterday. But the truth is that this stuff takes time and can be very prolonged. And it all may take a while until we truly know what to make of this financial scandal. Uh, Well, what should not take a while is you contacting the law firm of Paulson and Nace if you've been wrong. Uh, Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C. 
Bay's family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept Low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused a client's harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. This is a key point. Paulson and Nace does not fear going to trial. This is because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202 202- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case... Contact Paulson and Nace. Well, so much for the Capitals' season-high tying four-game winning streak. Uh, That streak on Thursday night ended with a thud. Uh, The Caps on Thursday night got ripped at the Toronto Maple Leafs 7-3. Very disappointing performance by the Caps. I mean, yes, the Maple Leafs are a very good team, but the Caps have been playing so well. The season-high tying four-game winning streak was comprised of three wins over teams ahead of the Caps in the Eastern Conference standings and a 9-2 smashing of the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena this past Tuesday night, but the Caps on Thursday night got smashed themselves in game one of a five-game road trip. Caps trailed 6-1 in the second period. I mean, this game really was a no-doubter. Caps this season now are 41-23-10, still have 92 points. The good news is that both the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders lost on Thursday night. The Bruins lost at home to the Ottawa Senators 3-2. The Islanders lost at the Pittsburgh Penguins 6-3. So the Caps still are just three points behind the Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. And the Caps still are 15 points ahead of the Islanders for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. The top two wildcard teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Caps remain a virtual lock to make the playoffs. 15 points ahead of the Islanders, and the Caps have eight regular season games left. The Islanders 
have nine. But the Caps now are five points behind the Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. And the Penguins, with their win on Thursday night, did clinch a playoff spot. Uh, and I don't like saying this, but the Pens now have made the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of the last 16 seasons. That is the longest active postseason streak among teams in the major North American professional sports leagues. So yeah, the Pens have that going for them. But back to the NHL team that we care about the most on this podcast, the Caps. Uh, they were bad on Thursday night, really bad. Uh, the Maple Leafs are a very fast team. Uh, the Leafs skated circles around the Caps on Thursday night. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Thursday night. There's a lot of things, you know, from tonight. I'm not going to get into all of them, but there's a lot of things that needed to be better. Um, certainly speed was one of them, um, but there's a lot more too. And so we'll we'll take it and, um, and try to get better from it. There's a lot that we can do to be better uh, than we were tonight uh, and get back to uh, winning, winning some hockey games. Yeah, the Caps on Thursday night were without multiple key players. Defenseman Dmitry Orloff did not play for a second consecutive game due to a lower body injury. Uh, the Caps remained without forwards Carl Haglin and Joe Snively. Haglin is out indefinitely off having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. Snively is out due to a left wrist injury. He underwent a left wrist procedure. Camps on March 6th announced that Snively had undergone the procedure and would be out four to six weeks. But still, I mean, these absences in no way excuse what we saw from the Caps on Thursday night. Uh, more bad goaltending for the Caps on Thursday night. Ilya Samsonov was the Caps' starting goaltender for a fourth time in five games, but he struggled. He stopped just 15 of the 19 shots on goal that he faced, and he was pulled in the second period in favor of Vitek Vanacek, who wasn't much better. He stopped just 10 of the 13 shots on goal that he faced. Here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on the play of Samsonov and Vanacek. You know, they had a, they had a couple of, I thought they had a couple of nice shots that went in the net. Uh, for the most part, I don't think we did a very good job defending in front of our goaltenders and gave the opportunity way too many times for the opposition to make something happen. So um, we needed to do a much better front, much better job in front of both of the goaltenders. Yeah, but what's also true is that the Caps goaltenders could be better and they were not very good on Thursday night. Uh, the Caps on Thursday night got worked in five-on-five play. This was maybe the most galling thing about the Caps' performance. The Caps, per natural stat trick, had just 30 five-on-five shot attempts to the Maple Leafs' 43, but that doesn't come close to telling the story because that final margin was made to look better thanks to the Caps dominating the puck possession battle in the third period, which was essentially garbage time. The Caps, over the first two periods, per natural stat trick, had just 11 five-on-five shot attempts to the Maple Leafs' 34, including zero five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Maple Leafs' nine. And even that's not all of it, because the first period was a particular embarrassment. The Caps in the first period, per natural stat trick, had just four five-on-five shot attempts to the Maple Leafs' 20. Yes, the Caps in the first period got quintupled up 
in terms of five-on-five shot attempts. Caps, four. Maple Leafs, 20. Okay, that is embarrassing. I mean, that should not happen in the NHL. And yet that happened on Thursday night. Uh, The Caps did go 5-5 on the penalty kill. So, hey, that was good. Uh, But the Caps went 0-4 on the power play. Uh, Here's maybe all you need to know about Thursday night. Alex Ovechkin, who has been so good this season and so consistently good this season, had one of his worst games of the season. Ovechkin on Thursday night, no points. He had just one shot on goal. He did have a team-high six-shot attempts, but four of them were blocked. And Ovechkin, per natural stat trick, was dead last on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 16.67. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, just two shot attempts versus allowing 10 shot attempts. Uh, Also, Evgeny Kuznetsov on Thursday night had a rough game. Now, Kuzi played despite dealing with illness, but Kuznetsov had no points, just one shot on goal, and just one total shot attempt. And Kuznetsov, for natural stat trick, was next to last on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 21.43. The Caps with Kuzi on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had just three shot attempts versus allowing 11 shot attempts. So a real lack of production on Thursday night from two of the Cavs' most important players in Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, A few bright spots for the Cavs defenseman. John Carlson had a second period, even trend goal, and a secondary assist. Carlson's goal, his 15th goal of the season. His assist, his 51st assist of the season. John Carlson became the first defenseman in Cavs history to have two 15-goal, 50-assist regular seasons. Uh, That's pretty impressive that Carlson now has done that. Uh, Also, Tom Wilson on Thursday night, a second-period even-strand goal and a team-high tying three shots on goal. Uh, He did have a first-period two-minute interference on goalkeeper minor, and he had a second-period five-minute fighting major, because of course he did. Uh, But Wilson's goal extended his career-high goal total for the 2021-2022 regular season to 24, but still overall a bad night for the Caps on Thursday night. Uh, Next up for the Caps, they will be at the Montreal Canadiens Saturday night at 7. Well, the Caps owner, Ted Leonsis, is surely not pleased with what he saw from his Caps on Thursday night, but could it be that Ted is about to buy the Nationals? Uh, We had a major report on this on Thursday morning. I'll address that report and what kind of an owner for the Nats that Ted might be up next. All right, so we're all busy and we're all dealing with inflation, but we all need to eat and we all want to eat food that tastes good and is good for you. And so that's why you should try HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. Uh, With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store or to the farmer's market. You see, HelloFresh is all about convenience. Not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so you're not overbuying or wasting food, but HelloFresh makes it easy to get filling meals 
on the table quickly. So stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat. Try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh and we love it. Uh, Just this month, we've had saucy pork burrito bowls, Italian chicken, and Southwest beef with pasta. All of it has been outstanding and healthy. And my four-year-old son, who never wants to eat what we give him, eats HelloFresh. That's the ultimate endorsement. Trust me. Also, HelloFresh will work with you. You can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date all on the HelloFresh app. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, before we get to what happened with the Nationals on Thursday evening in Game 1 of their four-game series at the Pittsburgh Pirates, I do want to address the update that we got on Thursday morning regarding the potential sale of the Nets. Uh, Mike Ozanian of Forbes on Thursday morning reported that, quote, according to MLB insiders, the buzz is that David Rubenstein and Ted Leonsis are going to team up to make a bid for the Washington Nationals owned by the Lerner family, end quote. Uh, Now, Ted's name has come up as a potential buyer of the Nets in some form, I can tell you this, I was told a few years ago that Ted had an interest in buying the Orioles. So personally, I was not surprised by this report from Forbes on Thursday morning regarding Ted 
as a potential buyer of the Nats. It's also worth mentioning this. The Nats managing principal owner, Mark Lerner, is a minority investor in monumental sports and entertainment, which owns the Capitals, Wizards, and Mystics, among many other things. So there already is a relationship between Ted Leonsis and Mark Lerner. Uh, Ted, in case you don't know, is the founder, chairman, principal partner, and chief executive officer of Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Uh, As for this guy, David Rubenstein, uh, so David Rubenstein is one of three billionaire founders of a private equity firm called Carlyle Group. Uh, Rubenstein has a net worth per Forbes of $4.1 billion. Uh, Now, Ted Leonsis per Forbes has a net worth of $1.6 billion. So that is important to understand. Ted is rich, but he's not as rich as this guy Rubenstein, uh, or as rich as the learners are, or even as rich as Dan Snyder is. Uh, So more from this report from Forbes, quote, a spokesperson for Leonsis had no comment when asked, about his interest in buying the Nationals. Ditto, a spokesperson for Rubenstein, but a person familiar with the matter told Forbes, the two are thinking about joining forces to buy the Nationals. End quote. Uh, I said this on Tuesday's show, episode 290. I'll say this again right now. Whether the learners want to come out and say this or not, the Nats are up for sale. I very much believe that. Uh, The news of the Nats potentially being up for sale Broke on Monday. Uh, The news was broken by Barry's Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post, and then was confirmed by Nats manager Davey Martinez during his pregame press conference as he said that he had been called and told that the learners were at least seeking a minority investor or investors in the Nats, or perhaps were even looking to outright sell the team. Uh, Barry reported that the learners had begun exploring the possibility of making, quote, changes in the club's ownership structure, end quote, and that the changes included a potential sale of the team. Barry also reported that the learners have hired the New York investment bank Allen & Company to research potential investors and buyers, and the Nats managing principal owner, Mark Lerner, even issued a statement to Barry, quote, this is an exploratory process, so there is no set timetable or expectation of a specific outcome, the organization is as committed as ever to their employees, players, fans, sponsors, and partners into putting a competitive product on the field. And quote. Uh, all of that sounds nice and fine and dandy, but to me, we don't need to overthink this. Once you as an ownership group are exploring the possibility of making, quote, changes in the club's ownership structure, end quote, and you're not dismissing the possibility of selling the team, you are basically telling everyone that the team is up for sale. Now, maybe the learners do ultimately just end up taking on a minority investor or some minority investors. But generally speaking, if you are thinking of selling or are open to the possibility of selling, then you're selling. Uh, I do think that it's very possible that the learners are having a cash flow problem given what the COVID-19 pandemic has done to the commercial real estate market in which the learners have made their fortune. In fact, did you see this? The Washington Post on Thursday had an article on this uh, headline in background of potential Nat sale learners face uncertain real estate market. Quote, it's unclear what the learner family's openness to selling the Nationals says about the state of their business empire, but it comes at a time when the industry in which they made their fortune, commercial real estate, faces major uncertainty. End quote. And then you add to that the fact that the learners, also because of the oh-so-wonderful pandemic, got totally robbed 
of the financial windfall that they should have enjoyed off the Nats winning the World Series in 2019. And yeah, I do think that it's quite possible that the learners are having a cash flow problem. And I do believe that a new ownership group for the Nats is coming. So if a Ted Leonsis-led ownership group bought the Nats, what kind of a baseball owner would Ted be? Uh, We know what kind of an NHL owner Ted has been in owning the Capitals. We know what kind of an NBA owner Ted has been in owning the Wizards. But what kind of a baseball owner would Ted be if a group led by him bought the Nats? I mean, it's hard to say, but I do think that there's reason to believe that Ted would be a good owner for the Nats. Uh, First of all, we do know that Ted will spend big money on players. Uh, See Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, Evgeny Kuznetsov, and others with the Capitals. See John Wall, Bradley Beal, and others with the Wizards. I mean, say what you want about Ted as owner of the Caps and Wizards, but he has spent money on players. Now, he didn't want to spend big money on Barry Trotz as head coach of the Caps, of the Caps under Trotz winning the Stanley Cup in 2018, but that's another story. And look, Ted has spent big on players, and he deserves credit for that. And actually, Ted has spent big on some coaches. Remember, Ted was paying Scott Brooks $7 million per season as Wizards head coach. Uh, But also with Ted as him being the potential owner of the Nats, to me anyway, is this. We do know that Ted is a big believer in analytics. And so I very much could see him doing what needs to be done when it comes to analytics for the Nats were Ted to become owner of the Nats. You know, I do see Ted, if he's owner of the Nats, investing in the necessary infrastructure to make the Nats even better when it comes to the team's analytics department and incorporation of analytics, which to me is so important in Major League Baseball right now. You know, there is an arms race in MLB in terms of data and information and sports science and the applications of all of these things. And if you as a team are not properly staffing and funding your baseball research and development department, you know, your analytics department, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. And I do believe that Ted would spend money on the Nats baseball research and development department. Uh, There's also this to consider if a Ted Leonsis-led ownership group bought the Nats. So as you may know, Ted's monumental sports and entertainment owns part of NBC Sports Washington. Yeah, NBC Sports Washington doesn't just have a relationship with the Capitals and Wizards. NBC Sports Washington is partly owned by the Caps and Wiz. So what might Ted buying the Nats mean for the Masson mess? You know, could it be, might it be that Ted, as a part owner of NBC Sports Washington, could figure out a way to finagle Nats games off of Masson and onto NBC Sports Washington. How good would that be for the Nats to get out of the Masson mess and to be on a network that would be, in essence, partially owned by the Nats? Uh, That would be good. You know, that to me would be good for the growth of baseball in the Washington, D.C. area. The Nats having their own channel in NBC Sports Washington and the Orioles having their own channel in Masson and hopefully Masson would be run better. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot to be thinking about here. We are, of course, a ways away from a Ted Leonsis-led group buying the Nats, but that happening uh, does very much seem like a possibility.
Well, I on Thursday's show, episode 292, began our segment on the Nats 3-1 win at the Atlanta Braves on Wednesday afternoon by invoking the baseball phrase, you can't win a pennant in April, but you can lose a pennant in April. Uh, I shall begin this Nats segment with another baseball phrase, momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. There are many baseball phrases, as you probably know, but That win on Wednesday afternoon featured the Nats starting pitcher, Josiah Gray, doing quite well. Five scoreless innings with five strikeouts. That win on Wednesday afternoon also was the Nats' third win in four games. Then came what happened on Thursday evening, a 9-4 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates in game one of a four-game series. Nats now are 3-5 and on the season. And unlike on Wednesday afternoon, the Nats pitching on Thursday evening was brutal. Uh, What we saw from Nats pitchers on Thursday evening is what we fear we will be seeing a whole lot from Nats pitchers this season. Uh, Johan Adone was the Nats starting pitcher on Thursday evening, and he struggled big time. Uh, Adone on Thursday evening, six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up nine hits, two home runs, a triple, a double, and five singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch. He did record five strikeouts, but the five strikeouts helped to drive up his pitch count to where he ultimately threw 91 pitches over his four and two-thirds innings. Uh, Adone allowed one run in a 26-pitch first inning. That could have been even worse. Uh, Adone gave up a leadoff homer to Daniel Vogelback to left center field. Boy, Vogelback just killed the Nets on Thursday night. Uh, Adone issued a one-out four-pitch walk of Key Brian Hayes. Adone issued a one-out eight-pitch walk of Yoshi Sutsugo. Uh, Adone in the bottom of the third gave up four runs. And understand, this bottom of the third was like batting practice off Yoan Adone. Uh, the Pirates were teeing off on him, uh, so much so that if you watch the game on Masson, the new Masson Nats analyst, Kevin Franzen, who I think is doing a nice job, uh, he flat out said that Adone was tipping his pitches. But Adone, in that four-run Pirates third, gave up a leadoff single to Daniel Vogel back to right field through a Nats shift. Adone gave up a two-run homer to Brian Reynolds on an absolute blast to right field to tie the game at three. Adone gave up a one-out opposite field single to Yoshi Sutsugo that got past Nat shortstop Alcides Escobar. That single came on a one-two pitch. Adone issued a one-out wild pitch. Adone gave up a one-out single to Ben Gamble to right field. Adone gave up a one-out two-run double to Kevin Newman to the left center field gap for a 5-3 Pirates lead, although Newman was thrown out at third on the play. And Adone gave up a two-out first pitch triple to Cole Tucker off the center field wall. Like I said, that four-run Pirates third was batting practice off Yoan Adone. And then Adone in the bottom of the fifth was charged with a run that scored off Nats reliever Hunter Harvey off Adone, actually striking out the first two batters, but then issuing a two-out four-pitch walk at Kevin Newman and then giving up a two-out single to Cole Tucker on a one-two pitch. So Adone on Thursday night struggled big time. It was tough to watch at times, Uh, and this was off him struggling in his first start of the season. Adone in the Nats' 5-0 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park this past Saturday night. Four runs in four and a third innings. He gave up just four hits, but one of the hits was a grand slam 
to go with three singles. He also issued four walks, a hit by pitch, and two wild pitches. So control clearly has been an issue for Adone. Uh, He threw 86 pitches in that outing. Uh, The Nats on April 5th optioned Josh Rogers to AAA Rochester, meaning that Adone had made their season opening rotation. This was a surprising development as the Nats spring training camp went on. This rise of Yoan Adon. Nats manager Davey Martinez made it pretty clear that he wanted Yoan Adon in the Nats season opening rotation, but Adon ain't going to be staying in that Nats rotation if he keeps pitching like this. Now look, he's a young pitcher. You know, the Nats are not exactly oozing true starting pitching options right now. So, you know, I'm not saying for the Nats to yank Adon from the rotation right now, but he clearly does need to be better. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday night on what went wrong for Yoan Adon. Pure location. You know, um, his misses his misses were bad, and then when he threw, threw a strike, they're right down the middle. So, um, yeah, he was, he was missing spots pretty much all night. I mean, he got the last uh, inning and a half, you know, he, he actually threw the ball where he was supposed to throw it, and you see the, the you saw the quick outs. So, um, you know, just a, a, a factor of just being young and really we really got to get him to understand you know you know how to attack the strike zone you know on hitters and follow the game plan and so because Joanna Doan on Thursday evening struggled we on Thursday evening saw the Nats B bullpen as opposed to the A bullpen or as Bob Carpenter on Masson called it the behind bullpen as opposed to the ahead bullpen. Uh, Well, the Nats bullpen on Thursday evening pitched like someone's behind, okay? Uh, Four Nats relievers combined to allow three runs in three into third innings on five hits, five walks, and two wild pitches. Uh, Now, the four relievers did combine for seven strikeouts, and Hunter Harvey and Victor Arano were okay, if not good, but Andres Machado and Patrick Murphy were not so good. Uh, Hunter Harvey faced two batters in the bottom of the fifth. He did give up a two-out RBI single to Roberto Perez on a ground ball pass to diving all CDs Escobar, but Harvey did record a strikeout. Then Andres Machado came into the game. He allowed a run in the bottom of the sixth on a leadoff double by Daniel Vogelback. There's that name again to the right field corner. A six-pitch walk of Brian Reynolds and a one-out RBI sack fly by Yoshi Sutsugo. Machado then issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Ben Gamble. Uh, Then came the Patrick Murphy experience. Uh, Murphy, in the bottom of the seventh, took years off all of our lives. This was painful, man. Patrick Murphy, in the bottom of the seventh, allowed two runs on three walks and two singles He recorded two strikeouts, but the bottom of the seventh felt like it took about four hours, okay? Murphy threw an astounding 38 pitches in that bottom of the seventh inning. Uh, Victor Arano did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth with three strikeouts, although he did give up a leadoff full count single to Cole Tucker, despite Tucker having been down in the count at 1.12, and Arano did issue a two-out wild pitch. So, not exactly exemplary pitching by Nats relievers on Thursday night. Again, this was the B bullpen, but the B bullpen at times looked like the F bullpen 
for the Nats. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday night on the performance of his bullpen in this 9-4 loss at the Pirates. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. I mean, the walks, I mean, I think we walked eight or nine guys uh, today. So um, these guys got to come in and, and throw strikes, you know, and uh, as I as I always talked about, you know, we're down a couple of runs, man. If they shut the door down, it could be a different ball game. You know, but when they come in and all of a sudden walk the first leadoff hitter and uh, all of a sudden things unravel, even if it's just a run, um, still that's that's a big big run big two runs there so uh, these guys got to come in and they understand that you know what their role is and they got to throw strikes and throw strikes and that's relievers did not on Thursday night you know what's funny about this 9-4 Nats loss at the Pirates on Thursday evening is that the Nats actually led in the game three nothing uh, the Nats jumped out to a three nothing lead with a three run top of the first but the Nats scored just one run the rest of the game, Nats finished with eight hits and six walks. Uh, the Nats drawing six walks was good. Uh, Nats went three for 11 with runners in scoring position. But I mentioned the Nats totaling eight hits. All eight of the hits were singles. Uh, the Nats right now are not hitting for nearly enough power. Uh, the Nats also right now are not getting what we know they can get and will be getting from Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz, but each guy is off here to begin the season. Cruz more than Soto. Soto, uh, his numbers aren't like awful or anything like that. Soto on Thursday evening was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter. He went 0 for 4 with a walk and two strikeouts, including a strikeout in a big spot. Top of the fourth, runners at the corners and two outs. Soto struck out on five pitches. Cruz on Thursday evening was an ad starting DH and number three batter. He did get on base twice, one for four with a single and a walk, but he also struck out three times. Uh, multiple Nats on Thursday evening, in fact, did each get on base multiple times. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez was an Nats starting left fielder at number six batter. He went three for four with three singles, including a two-run single. Uh, Yadiel in the Nats three-run first had a one-out bases loaded two-run single to right field on an 0-2 pitch on a baseball that the Pirates right fielder Hoy Park had trouble handling. Yadiel in a Nats one-run fifth had a one-out single to left center field on an 0-2 pitch to load the bases. And Yadiel in the top of the eighth had a leadoff single on a baseball that deflected off the Pirates' third baseman, Key Brian Hayes. You know, we're seeing a decent amount of Yadiel Hernandez in this early portion of the season, and he's earning this playing time. Yadiel Hernandez so far this season has a batting average of 412, an on-base percentage of 421, and a slugging percentage of 471. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz on Thursday evening was an at starting catcher at number five batter. He went two for five with an RBI single and another single. The RBI single was interesting. Ruiz in the Nats three run first, a one out bases loaded RBI single off the right center field wall. Ruiz just barely missed a grand slam and amazingly just one run scored on the hit as the runners held up due to the aforementioned Pirates right fielder Hoy Park, who I think should have gotten to the baseball in time to make the catch, did not make the catch. Uh, Ruiz in the Nats one-run fifth had a one-out single on a 1-2 pitch that he lofted into shallow center field. Uh, Cesar Hernandez was an Nats starting second baseman and number one batter. He went one for four with a single and a walk. Hernandez in the Nats three-run first through a four-pitch leadoff walk. Hernandez in the top of the fourth had a two-out single to right field on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, Josh Bell was an at starting first baseman at number four batter. Over three, 
but he drew two walks. Uh, also, D. Strange Gordon was supposed to be the Nats starting center fielder on Thursday evening, but he was a late scratch due to feeling sick. And so Lane Thomas on Thursday evening was the Nats starting center fielder at number eight batter. He went 0 for 3 with a walk. Uh, game two for the Nats at the Pirates Friday evening at 6.35. Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 294, will feature all you need to know on the commanders with whatever happens with them over the next few days. And who the heck knows what will pop up with them over the next few days. But I'm going to be doing a lot of commanders draft talk over the next two weeks, with us now being inside of two weeks until the 2022 NFL Draft. Looking forward to that. Uh, also on Monday, show, I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. Uh, the Capitals this weekend have just one game. They will be at the Montreal Canadiens Saturday night at 7. The Nationals this weekend will play the final three games of a four-game series at the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the Orioles this weekend will play a three-game series against the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great weekend. Have a happy Easter, if you, in fact, to celebrate Easter. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Jackpot Jackson all the way! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.